What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you for tuning in, as always. You know the drill. If you are a weekly listener and you haven't done it yet, go to patreon.com slash kind of neat. Just read about it a little bit. It's a pledge system where you can pledge a buck or two or three, whatever you want to pledge for every episode. So every time we put out a podcast, you just give us a dollar for our work because we drive far to do it. We love what we do and we love that you guys like what we do. And uh, if you feel like donating or pledging, please do. It'd be tight. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash kind of neat. Today is the day to activate and go do that. Today, man, had such a cool fucking time with K-Flay. She's a great person. You guys have been requesting her pretty much since the podcast started. And actually, even back in 2011 when we were doing the Noxteady shit, I would have loved to have her on back then. Just never really crossed paths. And then randomly... Shout out to Clayton Blaha, who we had on as a guest at one point. He just randomly texted me out of the blue and was like, hey, would you be interested in having K-Flay on? I said, fuck yeah, I would be interested in having K-Flay on. She's tight. He facilitated that, and here we are. We did an episode with her, and I couldn't have been happier. She's just the most polite and well-spoken and nice person and so, like, just... I don't know. She's very smart. That's pretty much the takeaway from from my conversation is that she's like smart. She's smart as a whip. There's one point in the conversation where like she's trying to make a point and says something about like, you know, where should we go eat? And my brain instantly went to tacos. And it just got me thinking. I have like a borderline unhealthy obsession with tacos right now. Like it's pretty much all that I'm ever wanting to eat. And even my Twitter timeline is starting to reflect that because the other night I like posted a picture of this taco spot I was eating at, and then the next day I was thinking about how, as a kid, I definitely preferred burritos over tacos. And now, if I go to a Mexican place, I'm not getting a goddamn burrito. I'm definitely getting some tacos. There's something about the simplicity of just a little bit of meat, some some cilantro and onion. And, and a salsa, perhaps, on a tiny little corn tortilla that is so perfect and so beautiful. And uh, if you just eat it simplistically that way, you get to just taste the how the meat is slow cooked and all the flavor that's been embedded into it. And it's such a glorious meal. I've been... I've been outright obsessed. I'm eating tacos probably about five days a week right now. I'm hoping that the habit will kind of like subside in a little bit. And I don't know why um, the obsession is currently taking place. Actually, I think I can blame it on I follow this. uh, I follow this publication, L.A. Eater on like Facebook and Twitter and shit. And um, so that's kind of regional like there. It's an L.A. thing. So if you're not in L.A., sorry, but. They post about all these new restaurants. And so like the other day they posted about some new deli that opened by my house in Clover City called Cannibal. So I went and checked it out. It was good. It was overpriced, but it was good. They also had, they had like little trinkets in there. One of them was like a drink mixture thing. Uh, it was like a kit to make two old fashions that came with just like aromatic bitters and cane sugar and a muddling spoon. And it was $26. I'm like, you guys are fucking tripping on that one. No offense to Cannibal. Your sandwich is good. The meats there do look delightful. But yeah, L.A. Eater put out this like 18 tacos that you have to try in L.A. And I was like, 
you know what? I'm going to make this my fucking mission to eat all these goddamn tacos. And so one of them that I had been meaning to try forever anyway, because I always drive by it, is on the corner of La Brea and Venice. It's called Tacos Leo or Leo's Tacos. Uh, And it's just a truck that's in like an abandoned Chevron station. They're parked there every day. And uh, if you live in L.A. and you've driven by, they're open until 3 a.m., you'll recognize it because it's the uh, spot that has two, like, giant Al Pastor spits just roasting all day, just huge fire with meat spinning around and a pineapple on top. And the guys who cut the, the... the meat off the off of the Al Pastor spit are like such pros. They carve a little bit out, catch it into the to- in the in the tortilla, and then chunk or like just uh, hack off a little chunk of pineapple, and it flings into the tortilla, and they catch it that way, like almost like a no look pass. It's like re- it's really something to watch. It's there's a certain artistry to it, most definitely, and. I had been meaning to try that place forever and it was like number three on that list. And I, and so I finally went there. It's a cash only spot. So there are a lot of places in LA that are cash only where I just like always try to save a couple bucks in my wallet. Cause I don't carry around a lot of cash, but whenever I do have cash in my wallet, I'm like, okay, cool. I can go to, I can go to fucking Leo's or I can go to Tito's or I can go, you know, S and W diner or wherever, wherever it only takes cash. Uh, and so I went and tried it and oh my God, these Alpa store tacos. Oh my God. You never tasted anything like it. It's so fucking good. And their salsas are good, and oh man, they have like they have like um, like pickled onions that that are, but not like the kind that you usually find in the Sacaria. They're kind, it almost looks more like a sauerkraut or something. Put those on there with some onion and cilantro, a little bit of salsa with the alpestor and that chunk of pineapple. Jesus fucking Christ! I might have to stop by on my way home. It's so good, and so yeah, and then. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but a, a Kogi, a Kogi uh, restaurant opened by my uh, apartment as well, like damn near walking distance. It's like about probably three city blocks from my apartment. And I think it's their first like brick and mortar restaurant. I could be totally mistaken about that. But Kogi was – I talked about it briefly with um, Bobby uh, on the last episode. It's Roy Choi's like food truck where he mixed Korean meats and Korean flavors with – his Mexican influence in tacos and stuff. And so that place is something too. That's going to be, that's going to be real bad that it's so close to my house. Cause I will be eating a lot of spiced pork tacos from there and their chicken taco is amazing as well. Very spicy. And so point is I've just been kind of like on a run, like exploring the city, trying to eat some tacos. I think also that Jonathan gold documentary that I was telling you guys about a few episodes back kind of inspired it too. Um, I don't know. I fucking love LA. I love LA so much. I love the food here and I love some motherfucking tacos. You could tell I did have, we just recorded an episode two days ago or three days ago and now we're recording another one. So I didn't, so nothing like momentous happened in my life in those last two days. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to talk about tacos. Yeah, man. Appreciate the, appreciate the food that your city has, whatever, immigrant subculture your particular city has go delve into their cuisine because god damn it's probably so good it's probably so good anyway i don't need to give you guys any more mouth-watering details about uh, tacos but if you're in la and you've never been to tacos leo go kayflay man i feel like after this conversation i would just want her to be my best friend she's like so cool and so um yeah listen in have a good time her new music, she was playing us some of it. Jesus Christ, it's fucking great. 
um, super talented, super talented. And uh, I'm just looking forward. I think big things are going to happen to her within the next few months. So all praises due. Here is my conversation without further ado with K-Flay. Are you someone that always has to be moving forward, goal-oriented? You know, I, I definitely am goal-oriented, but I am making an effort, or I think maybe consistently throughout my life, I have enjoyed things that suspend me within moments. Like, we were talking about books earlier. Yeah. I think that's a big part of why I like to read, is because it's it's not like meditation in the sense that your brain isn't, you know, like a glass kind of filter. But it, it's a focused mm-hmm. endeavor that sort of separates you from time and space in a lot of ways. And I think that's like – I enjoy that. can kind of separate you from your distractions for a bit. Yeah, and just from your reality, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think I, I enjoy that. But otherwise, I'm pretty – you know, I'm not reversing out the driveway too often. So What does that mean? I don't know. I'm going forward. Yeah. I'm driving through the neighbor's fence. Uh, you, your neighbors hate you. <laughs> That's terrible. You should leave their fence alone. <laughs> Got a lot of lawsuits pending. Right. Yeah. You're like a you're like a young go getter. Kinda. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting. Are you a workaholic? Going. going. Yes, I am. I think. Uh, but I also enjoy my work and find it to be like also a social thing. You yeah. know, so it's hard to. I feel like it's hard to disentangle when you're you do creative work because. Because you love it too, so yeah. it's like workaholism can also be like loveaholic. Yeah, it's kind of like I mean I don't have any children, luckily yet, but um, I feel like it's almost the way that you might you would feel about your children. You know, like I, I have a few friends now who are just starting to have kids, and it's like spending time with them. They just want to do it all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and however that manifests. So I kind of feel that same way about music. Mm-hmm. So every every song is your baby. Yeah. I mean, I regret some of those babies. Do you? Well, I don't regret them, but I mean, you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. It's like a relic. Do you find that some of the songs that you hate the most uh, tend to be the ones that the fans love the most? No. No? Actually. Oh, so you have similar taste as your fans then? Seemingly. That's good. Most of the most of the stuff that I don't love is just like mega, mega old. Yeah. Or Or I don't love it because I didn't sort of know how to control my voice yet or know how to like perform or sing or anything. Uh, One of the things that I preach on here heavily is that it takes young artists uh, a long time to find not only their literal voice, but also their figurative voice, but, but like really the literal voice, like using it as a tool and a melodic weapon takes forever. It does. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it took me, I, I just think I was totally unaware that that was something that could be done or right. that people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, once I figured that out, that really helped. Yeah. Because <laughs> let's face it, uh, us whites, we don't really have natural rap voices. You got to learn it. No. And I think, you know, there's for me too, a big part of it was sort of existing between singing and speaking. Right. Um and, and moving moving back and forth because I've been doing a lot more kind of melodic stuff in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And that was a whole, like, you know, new thing for me to understand because I was pretty, yeah, pretty new to that as a, as a method of expressing and using my voice. Mm-hmm. This has been very technical so far. I, I know. W- 
Yeah. Uh, where are you from? Because <laughs> I've been avoiding asking you that since we've been talking because I figured like I want to ask you where you're from. Okay. So I'm from – I know I thought you were so rude. Um, just kidding. You, you weren't rude at all. Um, you, you, yeah. You've been very polite. We've this whole interaction has been very polite as we've discussed. We, now we've both accused each other of politeness. <laughs> um, okay, so I am from. Uh, I was born in a town called Evanston, Illinois, okay. and then I, which is about twenty five thirty minutes north of Chicago. Right, and then I grew up primarily in Wilmette, Illinois, which is um, kind of the next town north. That's where my mom and my stepdad lived, and then my dad kind of lived in. Another place, um, a little bit like 30 minutes away, and then later moved to Indianapolis for a little bit. Okay, so the Midwest. But the Midwest, and definitely, like, I would say my hometown is Wilmette. Wilmette. But there have been many, many homes, kind of. Many homes. There's just a lot of moving. You guys jumped around a lot. Moving in the blood. Why? Well... You know, it's interesting, too, now, because my my adult life has been a life of transience, and I feel that my young life has prepared me well or maybe just got me used to it. But Or maybe maybe your adult life is a reflection of your youth because your adult life is seeking the, the themes that were already set up in your youth. You know what I mean? I, I you're the psychologist here. I do. <laughs> no, I think it's true. I mean, I think it's a mix of... I'm definitely comfortable with that sense of, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember meeting kids in college, especially who had grown up in one house, you know, and right. like if their parents were moving years later or something, there was like this real sense of loss and sadness. Whereas I was just kind of like a house is just a little place where you don't get rained on. And right. it's more like about the people. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's what home is more for me than, than physical places. Well, so why were you guys moving around so much? Was there, was there like chaos in the home life? Okay. Um, I wouldn't call it chaos, but that was an extreme. My, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think for my dad, he was internally dealing with chaos, but, um, so my mother and my father, um, got divorced when I was six. Are you an only child? So I'm biologically an only child. Yeah. But so my mom ended up marrying um, Tom, who is my stepdad. Shout out um, Tom. Shout out to Tom. Tom is honestly one of the greatest. And this is verified. I was, in fact, having this conversation yesterday, like one of the best people ever, truly. Like I feel so, so lucky. Because you said that's verified? Like all, like he's Twitter verified? Like great, he's Twitter person. verified. <laughs> one of the greatest person ever. But no, yesterday I was talking to um, a couple, I was with a couple of friends of mine yeah. and he came up and they were like, yeah, Tom's like the best. They're like, like seriously. Dude, they're like, Tell Tom to come grab a Newcastle with us. Pretty much. Um, So, yeah, my mom and my dad split up, and then my mom got married to my stepdad. Do you remember the split up? I do, kind of. How was it? Well, it was sort of weird. Like, they had only one fight that I have any recollection of. It wasn't – it sort of wasn't acrimonious in the big ways, but it was very, I think, sad – in big ways just because so my dad was an alcoholic and you know did other bad stuff and it was kind of like you know the final ultimatum and I think once I was born my mom felt like a real you know a sense of urgency Urgency, like you got to clean your shit up yeah and um it becomes much realer when there's another human life involved totally I think people are very willing to like sacrifice their own safety and happiness but then when you have a, a child or someone else that you care about it becomes very difficult to do that. Right. So, um, 
yeah, so she kind of like, you know, gave him that ultimatum and unfortunately for everyone, or well, not really for everyone, but kind of in a way, um, he was like, yeah, I'm not going to stop. And wow. Yeah. So, um, and I was like aware of this. So my mom kind of kept me informed. So I wasn't, I wasn't confused when, when they split up at all. Yeah. Um, which I think was really good for me because it wasn't like, you know how you think of like little kids being all like, what's happening? What? Right. I, I, I pretty much just knew. I always kind of say on here that like the cause of all issues are daddy issues and this is a perfect example. <laughs> yeah. I have mine, you have yours. Have you noticed as an adult, uh, has, I mean, when you break it down to brass tacks, it sounds like, oh, my dad chose booze over me. Like how has, has that come back to haunt you subliminally uh, in your adult life at all? Well, I think not even subliminally. Yeah, or like consciously. Very consciously. I mean, I think so. What ended up happening is my mom um, and my stepdad got together. And so then I got a brother and a sister. And I, we already knew each other because we were neighbors. Oh, and okay. we were like friends. It was like a, a dream movie scenario. Oh, oh so, so Tom had his own kids already. Correct. Okay. And like I was in playgroup with my brother when I was like one. Right. And we were we were like best friends. So when they decided to get married, we were like dancing around the living room, listening to Michael Jackson, hugging. Oh, you guys were hyped. Like you're the Brady Bunch. Hyped yeah. as fuck. Like, yeah. Just out of our minds. It, yeah. it was actually like the Brady Bunch. That's like, so funny. So, you know, on one side of things, it was really stable, really, really great. And, you know, my dad, for his part, pretty much kept, like, kept it all good, um... But, you know, he continued to kind of deteriorate and, like, ultimately lost his job. Like, a lot of the things that happen, you know. That you would, like, see in a movie script or something, right? You know, and then I think it's that, for me, what I can think about now as an adult is just that it's, like, the isolation that grows, the the isolation of the addict that just seeps in to until it's just you. Right. You know, and I think that that's quite common across. And it just like perpetuates itself and, yeah. and stacks upon itself until you're like literally all alone. Yeah. And that's, I mean, so he ended up dying when I was 14 oh, shit. Um, b- because of this. And, yeah. you know, he died alone and was dead for several days before like being found. And, you know, so I think, and clearly he was dealing with his own demons. I certainly don't feel related mm-hmm. to his, his kind of, his troubles in that realm. Um, I think I was like a respite from that for him, but it was, it was strange because, you know, he sort of died right as I was becoming like, that's, those are your formative years, a thinking person, you know, in certain ways. Like, I mean, 12 to 14 are like your most formative years of like with everything, you know? Yeah. And so, it was – I think it took me a little bit of time to – I guess to under, to try to understand him and his experience as an adult because I, I certainly – Well, because now you can kind of intellectualize it or, mm-hmm. or look at it as like a study but then it's just pure emotion back then, yeah? Definitely pure emotion and I think for me also a real um, – I'm trying to think of the right word but it, it created a, a, a real – I think I think young people already have a tendency to see things in very polarized terms. Yeah, black and white. And I definitely I think that increased that for me quite a bit. So I was 
um, and like I didn't drink, smoke, do anything until I was 23. Yeah. Um, and I f- had very strong feelings about it, um, which, you know, stemmed from him. And I think I just had a, a mentality that, you know, drinking or using any kind of substance was a sign of weakness and a disappointment and a source of shame and like all these kinds of things, which it isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of my kind of adult life, you know, like post-college life has been thinking about that um, and thinking about how, I don't know, just like, I think drinking for me, just even understanding that feeling helped me to connect with my dad Mm. and just at least understand like, oh, so this is what you were doing, <laughs> you know, right. or like this is what was going on. Right, right. Um, which has been kind of a cool, it's almost like quasi-religious. Wow. It's weird. I mean, what a realization uh, or, or what a way to like kind of um, mend your internal relationship with your dad. Like, Yeah. Right? I think, you know, well, you know I was, I was, as many people are f- immediately following someone's death that's like sudden and, you know, kind of under semi bad circumstances you know there was a lot of anger i was i was Absolutely. very because that's your secondary emotion that's your cover from the sadness from the void you just yeah. cover it with anger yeah and um and i think it wasn't until truly until maybe i was like 23 24 like and was kind of just like really like living on my own out of college and starting to starting to re imagine even my relationship to things that I began to have a different kind of compassion for him, I guess is a way to put it. Were you starting, were you already writing at that point and, and creating music? So yeah, I started making music in college. And so when you say you're like 23, 24 and begin to work through things, are you working through that in a very like, um, I mean, are you working through that with your art or, or is it more just on personal time? Partially, yeah. I think I think it mixed together, and, and certainly as time has gone on, he figures kind of prominently, almost as a like narrative, just presence in a lot of what I write and do. Yeah. Um, because I think that even though his his death like isn't a mystery to me, I understand what happened, and I think I kind of know why on some level. It is still the ultimate mystery to me. Right. Um, and just that there's so many questions that go unanswered and so he's kind of like serves this oddly mythical per, uh, like role in my life yeah. um one that i find pretty interesting to explore musically yeah you know it's kind of like i don't know it, like a, a good ghost or something right right <laughs> like casper no i get it uh, do you find that ultimate question of like why didn't you why didn't you save yourself for me? Do you find it affecting adult relationships? I don't. No. Because I, I really see what was happening with my dad as – and I think this is you know, true for, for people who struggle with addiction across the board is that it's, it's so much an internal thing. I mean you can have a beautiful family and great opportunities and tremendous you know, potential as a human being and all of that is sort of – pushed to the side in the face of, of whatever like void is sort of being filled. Um, and 
So yeah, I don't think so. And I and I really do credit like my mom and um, my Tom. stepdad, Tom. Yeah. And Tom actually adopted me. So Tom is like Tom's like I'm, Tom's a G. You don't have to call him a stepfather. I'm already yeah. like Tom's my Tom, bro. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel very very lucky that on the flip side of having you know that 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 side of chaos in my life, incredible stability and support, and my brother and sister and I, you know, are are super super tight. My brother actually just got married. Oh. Shout so, out to your brother and his and Shout his out wife. to Andy. I just was talking to when him was earlier that? today. That was in March. My brother's getting married in June next month. Aww. I'm going back home. But I'm the best man. You're going to allow – you're going to be the best man. Yeah, I'm the best man. Uh, I'll tell you what. I read a hell of a speech. I was going to say. I read a, I read a <laughs> hell of a speech. Uh, did you – when dad leaves when you're six, uh, did you – did you have to like spend time between both households? Like, were you going to see him? Well, so actually, my dad, who was quite a um, intransigent man in general, um, didn't leave. So my mom and I left. I just want to say props to your vocab. You've already used a couple words where I'm just like, "Yo, oh, you must you. kill it at, at uh, Scrabble." <laughs> Acrimonious and intransigent. <laughs> well, I I have a real. Um, you have a love of words. It's very I, I clear. just I just think it's so cool how in a language like and I'll never have this in another language because well I shouldn't say never but it's like doubtful as to whether I will have this with another language but just an understanding of like the minor minor nuance of words like that if you're looking in it like if we looked at a thesaurus right for the word like excited and we saw all the different options like they all don't mean excited right you know exactly and it's so i find that like so cool right anyway because excited turned on can be excited but also ecstatic can be excited and those are two completely different things you know what i mean uh completely yeah so words are really cool also fun fact yes and this like boggles my mind to this day um have you ever read lolita i've not okay i've seen one of the movies i think okay well you should read it okay just because, like, it's part of the canon and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, but the craziest part of it is that, like, whether or not you find the subject matter grotesque, which I hope you do, you psychos out there, if you don't. Um, I do. <laughs> okay, that was a test. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, regardless of, like, the actual content of the book, um, you know, it's, it's regarded as by many, many people as one of the best, like, top ten English language literary classic. novels, right? right okay, yeah. so here's the catch: yeah. is that it was written by a Russian man. Uh, I, who I think was I knew that. Not who English was the second language, and he wrote it in English. Right? Can you imagine if you moved to like Brazil and you wrote, wrote one of the best Portuguese. Portuguese novels ever? Well, jokes on you! I already did that. No, <laughs> God, I feel like an asshole. <laughs> Uh, I am uh, I am on the uh, Sao Paulo bestsellers yeah. <laughs> uh, list. Twenty eight weeks and running. Okay, that um, would be okay. Incredible. Wait, so intransigent, your father. So he was skipping. Okay. He was skipping around a lot. He was probably having problems holding down a household. Or what? well, no, 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 no. I'm saying that my dad wouldn't leave where we lived. Oh, wouldn't leave. So okay. my mom and I left, oh. and then we were kind of bouncing around. So we live with um, my aunt and uncle for a bit, who yeah. are awesome, and my cousin. Yeah. Um, and uh, also with my mom's friend Gail and a few other just like homies helping out. Wait, is your out. mom Oprah? She has a friend Gail? <laughs> and is from Chicago. <laughs> oh, my um, God. My mom is not Oprah oh, what a, despite the striking what a resemblance. Yeah. I know. Um, 
so we did that for a little bit, and then ultimately, you know, my you mom and Tom. Tom got together. Blah blah blah. What so, is what did your mom do uh, for work? So my mom was a lawyer. My father was also a lawyer. My brother's a lawyer. You got a lot of law in your family. That's right. What does Tom do? Is he a lawyer? Tom is a doctor. Wow. You come from very strong influences. Very, very strong. A lot of a lot of work ethic and like I grew up at the type of dinner table. And this was true with my father as well. Yeah. Like you need to know what's happening in the news. You should have a, an opinion about it. You should. You've done your homework because why would we even need to tell you? Because you're motivated to learn, like that I type love of. That. Which was such a great way to grow. Yeah, up. I love that. Best way. I like. I think about how much I love to learn to this day, like and how much and how that was like so firmly established. And I, I do credit my dad so much too because like whatever his internal life a little bit gnarly, but the way he treated me and raised me and all that so awesome. Was like you better learn your shit. Well, and just not even you better. It was like. Why would you, you not want to? Right. Like, look at this world we live in. Yeah, they created a lifelong learner because they, it was like such an academic atmosphere. Totally. Yeah. And like a love of just like books and math and all that stuff. So do, uh, is your mom the type that's like, oh, when – am I allowed to say Christine? Oh, yeah. Okay. Say Christine. When, uh, when Christine was only a year and a half, she was already talking like an adult because that's what my mom does. Um. Yeah, I think that – that mythology about me centers on reading. Oh, yes. Like, oh, same too. Yeah. Like reading <laughs> like, by age three. Actually, my mom claims that my first word yeah. was bullion. Wow. <laughs> Gold bullion. Yeah. Or like chicken bullion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Both bullions. Those are bullions. Two bullion. That thesaurus shit, you know what I mean? That'll be our that'll be our rap supergroup, two bullions. Two bullion. Full of bullions. What's up? What's up? We're full of bullions. We're from uh, Fairbanks. <laughs> Um, I think my first word was balloon. Whoa. Yeah. You're really similar. My, well, she made me, yeah, that's, I didn't even think of that. That's bullion and balloon. terrifying. Well, cause she had a bunch of hot air balloons hanging in my room for some reason. My mom did. Okay. And so my first word was balloon. And soon thereafter, I think it was bullshit because of my grandmother. <laughs> so she likes, she likes to cuss. Yeah, that, yeah. I think that's good for kids to learn. Um, yeah. My mom always tells this story about how I would, um, I, when I was a little kid, people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I would say an archaeologist. Wow. What would you tell people? I don't know. I, that's weird to say. And I, I actually, it kind of comes up sometimes in just in like interview stuff randomly. Like if you weren't doing this, like what would you do? And I'm like, oh, I would never ask that shitty disturbed. question. I know you wouldn't. <laughs> and it is a fucking shitty question. <laughs> um, it's like, it's like the equivalent to me of asking someone, well, if you didn't wear that today, what would you have worn? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Some other fucking outfit. Right. I would totally. have gotten dressed. Right. Like somehow I would exist in the world. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, anyway. What do your parents think of, of the fact that you became a creative? They love it. They do? Yeah. Um, and my dad was musical. It sounds like you have very su- a very supportive family base. I do. Yeah. I do. I'm, I really feel uh, tremendously lucky for that. But my dad my dad like taught me to play guitar when I was a little kid and oh, was like wow. super. And he and my uncle, like back in the 70s, used to like make tapes, write songs and stuff. So I think everyone feels, myself included, feels kind of happy that there's like that his spirit has carried on in such a positive way mm-hmm. in me mm-hmm. you know um so everyone's really always been totally supportive and has maintained the attitude of like if you're working hard and you feel fulfilled and you're able to take care of yourself 
and you're do, you're treating other people like with compassion and kindness and exp, and experiencing life to the extent that you want to, then you know that's dope. We're here for you, which yeah. is. I want your family. Yeah, <laughs> your family, well, family sounds tight. Honestly, you're always welcome. Like, <laughs> hey, don't threaten me with a good time. I'll I be over there for Thanksgiving. It's um, actually, we had a crazy this past Thanksgiving. Um, I had a show in Chicago, so my so my mom and Tom ended up moving to Oakland. Yeah. Um, a, a while back, but you know, everyone's originally from Chicago. My brother in is in New York. My sister's in D.C. And so I had a show in Chicago. November 25th uh-huh. of this last year. Day after Thanksgiving. Day This year, the day before. Before. Okay, you're right. It always changes. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, yeah. like the date is irrelevant. It's right. the Thursday that right. matters. Right. So we had to show at House of Blues and everyone came in. And I was also with my touring family. Yeah. And it was my guitarist's birthday on the 26th. It's my mom's birthday on the 26th. It was Thanksgiving, and it was the first Thanksgiving we had all been together. It was like my brother, his then fiance, now wife, my sister, her boyfriend, like my aunt, uncle, cousin, everybody, everybody. And it was like so beautiful. That and so great. you would have been invited, is the point. Where'd you guys go? Denny's? <laughs> Where do you go when you're all traveling? Um, well, you have, oh, you have family in Chicago still. Exactly. Yeah. We, we were at um, my aunt and uncle's house. Nice. Same aunt and uncle that we stayed with when I was young. Yeah, Gail. Chucky no, and Debbie. Not Gail. No, Gail's okay. is a friend. Let's get, did Gail come, though? I can't believe I'm shouting out my entire... This is like a real family episode, but... We love shout-outs on You know my meet. mom and Tom will be listening to this. Uh, Shout-out mom and Tom. So, anyway, shout-out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Today I got I a, I got a tweet from somebody today that said, uh, from listening to Kind of Neat, now every time someone's name comes up in a conversation, I just say shout out to that <laughs> name. And I'm like, cool, we finally have like a thing on the show. That's great. That's my, a pretty cool thing. My grandmother also has begun on Facebook always saying shout out like for no reason. She'll just be like, shout out the beautiful weather today. Like, I, she's definitely listening to the podcast. That's really cute. It's funny. A grandma saying shout out. She says shout out a lot. Uh, it's funny. Uh, um, okay, so being that you're like uh, really intelligent, that's very clear, and that you're, you're probably a bit of an overachiever, just naturally, you probably just seem like an, an achiever, but compared to everyone else, an overachiever. Uh, as a youth in school, were you like Miss Perfect? Like, what was your role in, in the social dichotomy of your elementary school and junior high and such? Okay, well, um, I went to a very large high school. Yeah. Um, like, my sister's class was bigger than ours. I think ours was around, my graduating class around like a thousand wow. kids, something like that. My high school didn't even have a thousand right. kids. So, and that's like very true of kind of that part of the Chicago suburbs is like, it's a lot of big public schools, like just historic. Diverse or no? Not diverse. So. Right. I mean, because the south sub- suburbs yeah. are more are, are like the more black area, and then yeah, it's okay. exactly like so south and west, generally speaking, um, in Chicago is quite different. The Chicago land area yeah. is quite different from like north and east, right. um, and you know that was something that went. Now that like my whole family is has dispersed to the coast and especially like my parents now living in Oakland and I went to school out there. It's just, I think the minute I got to the Bay, it was just so kind of inspiring on every level because, you know, just diversity of experience and perspective just helps you as a person. Uh, Yeah. Just beyond everything else. I think it's just, 
it makes the way that you think about things more complex and m more compelling or something. Absolutely. You know, and so, and that's not to knock like where I grew up. Um, it's it's really nice, like super safe. The I went to a great like great schools and had really awesome teachers and yeah and all that. But I think you know it does suffer from that lack of diversity. Just lack of diversity of yeah. in in a lot of ways because I think especially as a young person, if you're if you're not confronted with that immediately, and you don't choose to seek it out or you don't end up in a situation in which you find it, it can be quite, very limiting. You know, and, um, but yeah. So, so, so the high school being that big, is it easy to just become a face in the crowd? It definitely is. And so I was, I mean, I was like a super, super serious student. Um, and I was also, I played basketball, captain of the basketball team, point guard out here. Here we go. But I was, I was you like. You crossing me up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You I was, probably could. I was like, um, never the best at basketball. But I think I was like – You worked the hardest, I bet. I worked hard. But I think I was like a good um, – had a good like role amongst people on the team, like a good – Leadership ability yeah, and like you're probably a that. thinking player. Oftentimes intelligent people who, who who know that they don't have maybe the natural ability at it, they're able to compensate with just having uh, the, the IQ of that sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean I realized when I was 14 or yeah. 13 yeah. that – People were starting to get a lot better than I was at basketball, and I was still good. Right. But I was like, I was like, okay, something's happening right now. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm not gonna. That's not gonna happen right. for me. You're like, why aren't I dunking yet? <laughs> Correct. So I, um, I actually played in a game where a girl dunked. Really? Yeah, Candace Parker. She's like now in the WNBA and stuff. She's like amazing. You know what we're gonna say? Shout out Shout Candace out. Parker. <laughs> Okay, now I'm involved in this too. Um, but yeah, I think I had that realization early on and kind of came to terms with it. So I just enjoyed the the team aspects of it. Yeah. Because I really do like the camaraderie. And I think I think team sports are not to be like, I don't know. I feel like I'm about to give a lecture. Like, Please do. Team sports, I do think, are very important, especially for young girls. And I'll tell you this. Like when I got to college, it was my whole upbringing in general was very like food and body positive but when you play basketball or like soccer and stuff like that it's like okay it's the game we're gonna eat a bunch of crap like eat stuff like get stronger be like bench press more when i was in high school i could bench i weighed i think a hundred like maybe 13 pounds i was like young little girl yeah i could bench press over my body weight Woo! Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that was the goal was like yeah. be strong. Yeah, be. yeah. And then I got to college and I started meeting girls who were like, what? You like feel good about your body and like want to be strong, not right. just like skinny and stuff. And I was like, whoa, that it just kind of, I don't know. It, it like kind of shook me. It was crazy because I felt so insulated from a lot of those. And even we were talking about Marin. Yeah. Um, there was an episode recently with Nikki Glaser. With Nikki Glaser, yeah. exactly. Who's actually a buddy of mine. The, really? Yeah. They, they went deep they into went like deep. the body issues. I was like, holy shit. I know. I, and honestly, uh, it's it's interesting because uh, Marin doesn't really delve into his like eating disorder stuff too often, and he went real deep into it there. I know. It was fascinating. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was like it, it was really like. Uh, I don't know. It was like watching uh, from the outside, watching these two people that had like found this common bond that n not very many people would share, I guess. 
No, I loved it. I mean, and for me, it's almost like peeking into another world. And I've understood it more now, like as an as an adult, especially being in the kind of like entertainment industry or whatever. Right, appearance is very important. Yeah, people put a lot of weight on it. Yeah, no yeah. pun intended. Oh, I didn't even got you. Damn, me and my dad <laughs> jokes—they're just natural. <laughs> um, ooh, I have a good one that I made up the other day. Um, what do you call a renegade elf? Rebel without a clause. Woo! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, that's great. I you heard a, it first. I have an eight-year-old nephew who like um, like that. Oh, he loves jokes. Like he's trying to. He sees uh, me and his dad. Like we, we we'll get together and like put on a, a show. Like we're pretty funny when we get together. And so he recognizes the fact that people are entertained by us, and he wants to be funny. So he's like, Uncle Lee, you gotta buy me joke books. I want joke books. <laughs> so for his birthday in January, I bought him like two thick ass joke books, and I'll he'll, I'll go I'll go down there, and he'll just like, All right, Uncle Lee, what's the, what do you call a cucumber? That and I'm just like, I don't know. It's That's funny. so sweet. But the funny thing is I used to read joke books. I used to just go through joke books when I was his age. So I'm like stoked that. Uh, that the I'm tradition. Like, yeah. I'm like, yo, you're going to be funny because I used to read joke books too. <laughs> um, uh, okay. So socially. So socially. What, what was your crowd like? What crowd did you run with? I So the cool thing about being at such a big high school is it doesn't have the same kinds of like – cast system like stereotypical and you know what's funny is that i i'm starting to think that that just doesn't exist because i talk to people from small high schools like mine and yeah. that cast system doesn't exist and then really? i'm hearing from you that big high schools doesn't exist i think that's just a product of tv honestly you're probably right because it's like f- at my high school if you were a cheerleader like first of all they couldn't even like recruit cheerleaders with money there were like seven girls in the entire school who were on the cheerleading squad like it was like the worst thing you could ever do um so i felt like a lot of the stereotypes were inverted or non-existent but um well a lot of the kids that were jocks at my small school were also the valedictorian types or like you know uh honor roll honor society and all that stuff yeah so i felt i mean my my group of friends um was pretty like you know good like cared about school i definitely cared the most um not super athletic just kind of like normal and but kids. not not drinkers and smokers and partiers either obviously no i mean they they did a little bit like i would say what i would consider kind of normal just like experimentation and stuff at that age yeah and like just butt chugging bottles of vodka and stuff that's normal, right? <laughs> like like a couple times like didn't get it and like did that and then like barfed in a bathroom you know like <laughs> <I did that. laughs> but just like like just because they didn't understand right. like in the typical way that like young kids will sometimes do that but yeah no one was like a big party or definitely a low-key group and actually like um were you, you know, a drama kid i wasn't oh i i have there's such a mystique to me about because one of my greatest fears is acting. You seem like you'd be good at it. I don't think so at all. I don't know why. Like <laughs> I really, I actually profoundly believe that I would be one of the worst. Really? Why I, do you think that? I find, and I, I'm going to say this with the disclaimer of, the, I mean, no disrespect at all to any actors because I quite admire this ability. But for me personally, there's something unnameably and utterly humiliating about publicly pretending to be someone who isn't you oh shots fired that was- <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i'm not even trying to say it's a mean thing <laughs> it's so mean. i didn't mean it meanly but for me like yeah, internally yeah, no, yeah, right. it feels so 
it's almost like the equivalent. You know how people are like, how can you get up on stage? Like, don't you feel like so naked? No, no, no. I don't feel naked as me. Mm. I would feel naked as like Juliet. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's just the reverse. Okay. So maybe I should marry an actor. Why? I don't know. Where did that logic jump come from? Well, to balance like the humiliations. To have a humiliation reciprocal so that... You're in L.A. You got a chance. They're all over the place out here. They are. I'm in the right town. They're all over the place out here. Okay, well, if you're an actor and you're not an idiot... Her number is... No. Uh, What's... uh, (laughs) Oh, you know what else I was going to say about team sports? Because we skipped right past that. Beyond the body positivity and Mm -hmm. and building strong character, I think uh, team sports... While our country does have, like, uh, an exceptional uh, addiction to team sports and it's, like, almost so much emphasis put on here uh, compared to other, like, European countries and stuff, Mm -hmm. like, it's an insane amount of emphasis. What it does teach is, like, when you – when you are starting your own business, like, you have essentially becoming an artist, you have to start your own business – Working on a team as a kid teaches you how to build a team as an adult because there has to be a team captain who's kind of pointing the way or a coach or whatever. And you have to like build solid team players that are willing to sacrifice for each other around it. And so basketball can be very, uh, uh, very much analogous to business. Hell yeah. You need a Horace Grant. Oh, man, I just watched that 30 for 30. Did you watch it? No. Uh, they did an Orlando Magic 30 for 30 about Shaq and Penny and Horace Grant. It's great. It's okay. So well, it's true. I mean, you need like Steve, Steve, Kerr. Steve Kerr. And look at – actually, there's Stop. a great story about Steve Kerr. I'm just going to take I met a moment. Steve Kerr. <gasps> oh, okay. So Steve Kerr – just I'm going to do this as a like info thing for anyone listening do who it. doesn't know who Steve Kerr is because it seems like – He was the shooting guard for the Bulls. Yeah. I mean he was like the eighth guy on the right. bench. You know right. what I mean? Like he was not a starter. Right. He's a small white dude. He's, co- he's coaching the. Well, right. right. Yeah. Go so ahead. basically Steve Kerr was known for th- shooting threes. Right. That's like what he Under did. pressure. Under pressure threes. And there was this like key game. This was in the nineties. He made some like awesome, not totally last minute, but kind of like fourth quarter, last minute three pointer. And then there was like another super actual like buzzer beater type play about to happen. They go in the huddle, there's a timeout, and like Steve Kerr's all pumped up. And Steve Kerr is telling this story, by the way. This is in some documentary. Mm-hmm. And he's like all pumped up and like so excited. And they're, they're drawn up the play. And um, he says to Phil Jackson, this is the coach of the Bulls, he was like, oh man, uh, give it, uh, coach, are you going to give it to me or something? And he's like, no. We're giving it to Michael, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and like, um, he has that great story, but, and now I think not surprisingly, Steve Kerr has, is the head coach of the Golden State Warriors who are phenomenal and has become, you know, such a, I think a leader of a team that again has incredible teamwork. So you have someone like Steph Curry, who's Michael Jordan's status, like superstar, right. but then you have all these other dudes like Clay who are like great and supporting cast members right. anyway. Basketball is a shit. What's so funny is I I don't really keep up with the NBA as much as I would like to, but uh, I was talking to my brother yesterday, and we don't relate on very many things, to be honest. We've grown up to be very different adults, uh, but when we can find neutral ground to stand upon, we can bullshit with the best of them. And we had a a fucking hour and a half conversation about the NBA and just about that, about, like, chemistry and about why, like – you know, James Harden is unfortunately probably never going to be on a championship team now because he got moved to a team where there's no talent. And so he's a franchise player when really he should be like the third best player on any team. And, uh, and, and you know, he would win championships if he could get on a team like that. But now his salary is going to be too high and he'll never get to do it. So it's like, 
uh, man, sometimes if you if you're shooting only for personal gains, you're never going to fucking win a championship. You, you know? look at Allen Iverson. Oh, I love Allen Iverson. Right, but talk about a dude who just we don't need to get into a practice I, conversation. I, no, but I, I, I well, this is getting <laughs> about, this is getting so practice. inside the NBA. Yeah. yeah, we should stop. We'll get outside the NBA. Did you watch the Allen Iverson documentary? I did. Yeah, that was great. I, I think that it's just, really they just never built a team around him. I think that he could have been. I think he could have led a team. They just never gave him anybody to play with. Totally. Sorry, that's what yeah, I meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was that without that like yeah. cast without the team chemistry? Right, right. You can have a phenomenal player like that right. who's just like you're fucked you know dancing in isolation yeah totally so kids if you're listening build a team around yourself you know what i mean or become be, a be, become a team player a team member right recognize your own abilities and get in where you fit in okay i had um a conversation today related to music but i it kind of like sort of helped me to crystallize something i've been thinking about for a little bit which i think is also good advice for everyone out there who's listening and wants advice which is maybe not many people, but who want advice, but, um, is that, and this is a good way to think about it. Like if I was like, Lee, um, you want to go out to dinner? Like, what do you, what do you want? sounds inappropriate to me already. (laughs) No, go ahead. Um, I go, what do you want? And you go tacos. Okay. No, no, don't answer. Don't answer. You have an opinion, but, um, That went horribly wrong. It will always be tacos. You're saying you decide. I'm supposed to say you decide. You're supposed to say anything, whatever. Anything. I don't care. And when when you lack, and that's this is not a great example, but the the case in which this came up was in terms of what you do as an artist or a creative person, and having awareness and self understanding of the things that are your strengths, how you can contribute to situations, and then situations or experiences or people that you don't work well with, don't like working with. Um, and having like having that perspective and awareness is one of the most helpful things and critical things to success. Like always being down for whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's a misconception, like being like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm down for whatever. Agreed. There always needs, I always say there needs to be a voice of dissidence in the room during songwriting because everybody can't be saying yes. Cause then you end up with a 17 minute song that never fucking stops. Someone needs to go, you know what? I don't know. I don't think that's the route. I think maybe it's already done. You know what I mean? Or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, definitely. I, I think like when, particularly in a songwriting situation or a creative situation, there needs to be somebody in the room kind of like guiding things and going like, I think we should try this. Uh, because if everybody's going like, well, I don't know, maybe, but we don't have to, you know, like it just gets so like everybody's trying to pitter patter around the issue. Perspective is everything. Totally, man. Uh, did you graduate with like four point fucking five or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, did you, what What was your GPA? Do you remember? Um, I I'm, I can't quite remember. It's um. Was it over four though? It was over four. Woo! You smart four, girl. You smart. Well, I mean, I'm not an idiot. Did you but, ace the SATs? <laughs> but I don't. Th- I don't think like. I think school, as as I've come to understand in my adult life, like school is something that. I just I liked and took to you the structure. Right. Like I like the structure of school and and did in college as well. Right, because like, you can be smart as fuck and be terrible at yeah, school, yeah. but you can also be you know of average intelligence, do great at school as long as you're diligent. Exactly. But sometimes you hit both of those kind of notes where you're like smart and you're good at school. I was one of yeah. those kids too, where like I took to that structure. I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about it. Like I I miss that. Yeah. And and always. Um, 
yeah, I feel a real affinity. But for at the same time, with, time. with what a with what a um, passionate reader you are, I'm sure there's a part of you also where it's like you had this realization of like, oh fuck, I can like teach myself whatever mm-hmm. now, and that's a great feeling too. It's such a great feeling, yeah. um, especially with music. You know, there's a lot of dead time yeah. or like in between moments and things like that, and you can. It's easy for that to form this this odd, amorphous, endless like checking your phone, drinking a beer, nothingness, or you can like try to capitalize and, and, you know, like read books or or do something that just sort of takes you out of that reality and which I find helpful. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, go crazy. Yeah, totally. Um, So, yeah. So then you end up going to Stanford. Yes. That's what you told me off air. I did tell you that off air. It's true. That's why I knew that audience. (laughs) Um, So, Straight out of high school, like you graduated mm-hmm. right outside of Chicago, and then did you apply a bunch of places, and that was the one you chose? Or? Yes, correct. What, where else did you apply? Um, I applied. Uh, I think I applied to like not eight, nine schools, something like that, like a fair amount. Um, Tom's side of the family is uh, University of Michigan, Go Blue, Wolverines, till they die. Mm-hmm. So I did apply there out of like. Not even obligation, but just out of like a natural, like whatever. And my my brother actually went to the University of Michigan and my sister went there for graduate school. Shout out Wolverines. Shout out Wolverines. (laughs) Shout out Jim Harbaugh. Shout out Jim Harbaugh. Okay. That's just a double shout out. Um, So yeah, I applied to a bunch of different places. Some, a couple in the Midwest, a couple, well, Stanford and then Berkeley in California and then like a lot of East Coast schools. Did you already have your kind of heart set on California? I didn't. And that's the weird thing. You didn't? Where did, where was your heart set on? Well, you know, I think um, – I don't know if I have my heart set on anything in particular. But, you know, I remember my grandma was um, really sick when I was a senior in high school, when I was 17 and, like, just getting my, like, acceptances. So this is in April or something like that, whenever that happens. And um, also shout out to my grandma. My grandma, shout I was actually out. just saying, first of all, this is her necklace that I'm wearing. Yeah. So super shout out. I already noticed the necklace. I was like, it's a nice looking piece. So here's What's an like explanation. <laughs> shout out bullion. <laughs> um, the necklace is actually, so my grandpa gave it to my grandma and it's a calendar of September 1944 with a little diamond on September 10th, their anniversary. Oh, that's adorable. What a cute present yeah that is adorable okay so i'm wearing that around my neck right now for Mm -hmm. the for everyone to know but so my grandma who i called honey Mm -hmm. so my grandma honey was like sick and but she she'd like whatever she's a g just like she was she got a grandma she was (laughs) (laughs) she was a g a grandma (laughs) um that's true yeah but so she was like sick but she wasn't sick too long she kind of had the perfect we were talking about old age and yeah, all this stuff. Yeah. She kind of had the perfect, like she got sick and like six weeks later died. It went fast. And got to see everyone yeah. and like was with fam and like squad, had good and it squad. Was it was lit. Right. Um, so everyone got to say goodbye, but it didn't get ex- to the point where she was like living in suffering. Exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. Like a little bit, a tiny bit of suffering, of course, right. but like, anyway, yeah. um, so the point is, right. So she was, and I, she she didn't go to college and whatever, whatever. And so I remember like I had, I had applied to all these schools and I applied to Harvard and I got in and I, my grandma was like so proud of me, you know, cause especially old like yeah. people, they don't know what that the hell's was, going well, yeah, on. Yeah, but that probably wasn't even an option when she was a child. You oh, know? Yeah, like, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember her being like so proud and just being like, 
because yeah, for her, she understood kind of like that 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 was like a, a good achievement for me and stuff like that. So I think I had her. I had maybe I was I don't know leaning towards that just also because it felt like to have it to have yeah. like why wouldn't you or something? Yeah, because that sounds amazing on it. I mean, like, how do you like them apples? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So then, but then I went to visit. Um, California and I have a bunch of aunts and uncles who live in Oakland and stuff so I'd I'd been out in the Bay Area but I went and I just like man I just really liked it and I like the California like this sounds fucking stupid the California attitude but there is something like come on let's face it California is fucking California is so great California is the best California is the best and I love it here it's I knew when I was 11 that I was going to move here. My grandmother lived up in in Ventura County mm-hmm. in Ojai and we used to visit her and as an 11-year-old I was like this is it. I'm moving here. I'll cry when we had to fly back to Alaska <laughs> like I don't let me go to school here. You know, this is a, it's a great state. It is a great state. And so I can imagine as like a, you know, sprightly 18-year-old, you go to the bay, you go ride the whip a little bit, you shake them dreads, and <laughs> you're just like, yeah, yeah, I'm, you've arrived. Essentially. No. I mean, essentially that's what happened. Like, I came and then I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And then actually, this is this is like, I, I've never even told the story largely because I forgot it, but. Exclusive. Exclusive. This is a Missy exclusive. <laughs> Just remember the album had that every <laughs> song. Um, but um, the dude who I'd interviewed with at, for Harvard um, called me up, like, I don't know, pre-me me making the decision or something and was mm. like, so are you, are you set? Are you decided? And I was like, well, you know, I, I went and visited Stanford and spent some time there and I really liked it. And he was like, why would you ever choose Stanford? Yeah, or something Holy like shit. Really, something like so really snobby. snobby. And I was like, and this is by the way, no disrespect to anybody at any school. It's whatever. Like it's all fucking bullshit in the end. But I was just like, uh, that's I did. I did that rubbed me the complete, complete wrong way. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then I ended up going out to Stanford, which was such like the probably the best decision of my life. The fact that he called you, though, is better. Like, you know, uh, the, the the recruiters now, they just text you, you up. You up. They're like, you up? <laughs> you coming to Harvard? <laughs> yeah, so I, didn't get, I didn't get a text yeah. from this man. Yeah. I did get a call. And, I yeah, it really, it really turned me off. And so... You've probably read, like, um, Malcolm Gladwell stuff of mm-hmm. Outliers and shit like that. And he talks about uh, – I can't remember which book it was in, but he talks about uh, the big fish in the little pond type thing did, uh, or, or, the, or the little fish in the big yeah. pond. And a lot of people where you're, like, this bright student at your high school, you end up going to a place like Harvard or going to MIT and all of a sudden you're like, well, fuck, all these people are smarter than me. And then all of a sudden you feel stupid and all of a sudden your academics drop because of that. Did you ever worry about that or experience anything like that at a school like Stanford where everyone's smart? Um, I didn't really. Uh, I, you know, I think a part of it is a product of where I went to high school, which was, you know. Already like, huge. Already big. I mean, like, it was only, the size of my graduating class in high school is pretty much the size of my graduating class at college. Almost the same. Right. Like, a little bit different. But, so it didn't feel like a huge transition. But your, your high school probably had some dumbasses, too, though. 100%. Stanford, you know, everybody's like... Stanford's got a few dumbasses. I'm going to go on record saying it. Of course, this dumbasses everywhere. Another exclusive. You Another <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Fuck but, you, Stanford. But, but oh, you good. know, I, I like, I really, really, 
I'm not much of a school pride person, like in a right. in a like typical sense, but I feel such a fondness and love for my time there and a lot of the things that like that's that school and campus and community provided me because it's it I couldn't have gotten that everywhere and I don't think I could have started making music just anywhere and so I think it was a lot of a lot of factors coming together in this really beautiful way because again getting back to like the whole diversity uh, change of environment in context thing for me I like came out of this very you know, predominantly white suburban area. And Palo Alto, where Stanford is located, is also predominantly like white and Asian and very wealthy. But the campus itself and the community and the kind of ethos was just very different. And then being in San Francisco and experiencing that city and I don't know, it was just, I think it's one of the main things that allowed me to be like, oh, I could make music. Right. You know, because it was just like, that doesn't seem like an option when you're in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, or it, it was just so outside. Yeah, right. like right. what I would even consider, I guess. Right. But did you grow up listening to the rap music? <laughs> I did. What like what was your shit? So the thing is, like, if I, I met yeah. you in high school, I wouldn't be like, oh, you know what? This is a woman I can talk to uh, talk about Wu Tang with. Well, I was also blonde. I'm blonde. Are you blonde? Mm-hmm. So oh. you really couldn't have talked about any of that with me. That's crazy. But I'm actually bald. You wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> now you can tell. Um, I, you know, I always liked a bit of more kind of like weirdo rap. Like Anticon? Not Anticon. Um, oh, shots fired at Anticon. No, no, no. no, no. Sorry, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> um, more commercial weirdo so like i loved missy i loved ODB? early yep i loved early busta i loved and still love outcast e- e40 well so i didn't know about e40 time moved to the bay yeah. but ooh, hustlers he, are us. well he yeah my game oh, sharper than that's not tusk. that's not bad me myself <laughs> well see okay. back when i was a kid that we had the box and they used to play uh they used to play sprinkle me mine sprinkle me mine and my and i remember going like man i love this song and my friends in alaska go man i fucking hate e40 he sucks he's weird and i'm like i don't know there's something to it man i kind of like it chino xl had a song at the same time on the box and i remember I would, oh it was a creep he was like covering a radiohead song whoa yeah yeah i was in um fun fact about sprinkle me is i was in omaha nebraska mm-hmm. shout out omaha yeah and i was at a subway before a show uh-huh Subway sandwich shop, not Subway yeah. public transport. And the best cookies in the game. Very good cookies. But mm-hmm. I was I was getting a sandwich mm-hmm. and the dude was like asking me about lettuce or something. I was like, Oh, you know, like oh, sprinkle me. Oh. And he goes he literally he was like started doing like he was like this face like all bay area no because he was from he had lived in like yeah. I think Fremont or something and um anyway, so E forty's presence is palpable. And diffuse. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> More thesaurus words. Sorry. Yeah. I just was like admiring the beauty yeah. of the English language when, yeah. when, when you talk about so, E40. Uh, what other weirdos? Missy Elliott, you already said her? Yeah. So, I mean, I, m- the main thing I liked as a kid, because I didn't listen to a ton of things, but the things I listened to, I listened to a lot of. And right. I, I really, really loved Outcast. That was like kind oh, yeah. of my biggest. Right. Which, what's your Outcast record? I mean,. I guess when I was young or like uh, for the f- until I was like a little bit older Italians was pretty much just the one That's everything. It is everything. Yeah, I love that. Except album. for the fact that 
Stankonia still. There's a late late to the game game changer for them. That was a great record. Yeah. Sorry, Miss Jackson. I mean, just like the pop sensibility of all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I can look back and think, whoa. Well, well and that was the record where like that was the record where um Andre like really stopped giving a fuck. God, I love that. You know? Yeah. Dude, his verse, do you remember um that white tea song? Yeah, probably. Like I, I don't know who sang it. Yeah. Oh, oh, in my white tea. Oh, I yeah. think they like me. Yeah. I think they like me. Oh, dude, I also, oh, go ahead. Tell your story. Now. Well, no, he has a verse on that yeah, remix. Yeah, a remix. <laughs> so, your white tea look like a nightgown. Right, right. Your white tea, <laughs> your white tea, well, to me, look like a nightgown. No, that was on Walk It Out. That was the Walk It oh, Out that remix. that was on Walk It Out. I actually... The DJ Onk. Yeah, so when I was okay. writing... This is for the hardcore intuition fans out there. Shout out to all two of you. When I was, <laughs> when I, when I was writing um, my second record, is a record called Girls Like Me, I had made a uh, like a mix of all the Andre features because at that time, everybody was going like, Andre's going to make a solo album. It's coming. It's coming. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, but he was really out there doing a bunch of remixes uh, yeah. where he would just hop on a verse. And so I made a collection of all of them and I would just like study because... I just want I just I love Andre like I want to rap like him he's so good yeah. I taught a rap class one one year to like uh, impoverished kids in, in uh, K-Town and uh, I don't know why I said impoverished they're just like normal kids yeah in, in K-Town kids, kids. and one of my first assignments was like okay everybody fucking memorize the the verse from um what's the one the UGK song uh international players anthem oh yeah I think that's like the, one of the best rappers of all time I love that rappers Okay, so you listen now, guys. Uh, how do you get into music at Stanford? I got into music because of an argument I had with a guy named Sam. And shout out, Sam. Fuck and you, Sam. No, Sam is awesome. Sam oh, really Sam. was such, and, and con- continues to be, but is such like a, yeah, like just was such a positive force oh, in my life. Oh, then I revoke my fuck you. I thought the argument was like a. Oh, no, 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 no. Basically, we were talking about, I was like, in this phase, right? So I'm like, I've been in school for a little bit. I'm living in California, and I'm hearing all of this like West Coast indie rap, right? Yeah. And I'm getting exposed to that, and I'm like, whoa, what this year? is cool. So this is like, um, th- we're talking like 2005 or something like that. So like Living Legends and stuff like that, or exactly. Who? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I had Grouch on. He's awesome oh he's, he's so awesome cool. he was yeah so, cool. so i and one of the the groups that i loved was i and i yeah, who i yeah. ended up working with and yeah. like actually anthony was like a big influence for me and really helped me in a lot of ways but so yeah i just kind of like started getting exposed to that and i was getting really into a lot of uk rap um i love i still love that dizzy. first dizzy rascal yeah. record so Boy good. in the corner yeah go do your homework kids yeah, please do your homework. That's a great album. Yeah, it is a good record. Um, and it's so fucking weird. Well, and it's so of the moment right now, too, because, like, you look at that influencing what Drake is doing and yeah. then with Skepta blowing up and all these people, that's, like, a seminal record in, in that oh, that scene. Hell yeah. Um, anyhow, I, I got so, Scrabble words, too, girl. Seminal, no, I know. you feel me? I, seminal was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Um, uh so I was like listening to all this cool stuff, yeah. And it was also around the time when like the Ying Yang Twins were really big and stuff. To the window, to the wall. That was a big song that year. Yeah, and like also just like a couple things where I was like, or like the Whisper song. Yeah. I was just feeling like 
really disillusioned by what was on the radio. I will say, I think I know what you're going to get at. And I, and I want to say that I had a similar experience to what I think you're getting at in that you hear these people that are locals in California making music. And then you hear what's on the radio and you're going like, I don't like this, but you know what? I bet I could do that. Like, like yeah. I had this distinct, like I loved the living legends, but when I listened to the living legends, I also went like, I could do this. Like, you know what I mean? Okay, so you and I had a slightly different thing. Okay, go ahead. Mine Proceed. was no, 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 but they're equally valid. Yeah. I, I was like, I was like, this stuff on the radio is like fucking bullshit. Like, yeah. I could write it. I'm like a white random girl who like doesn't even drink, and I could probably like write a song about like getting fucked up. Mm-hmm. And if like so, someone else sang it or performed it, it would be legitimate because it's like there's so much formulaic. Oh, and then Sam said, no, you couldn't. Exactly. Sam's smart. Sam is smart. Because that's hard to do. People Sam, don't realize Sam it. is a lawyer. Oh, shout out Sam. He's a shout lawyer. Shout out Sam. I need- um, so Sam was like, well, kind of like, all right, well, then go do it. So this other guy named Mark who lived the floor down and was like the com- kind of the computer guy. Had acid pro. No. No, he had sonar. Ooh, Okay. Yeah, Going rare. deep on yeah, it. Yeah. So had sonar and made like weird trance music. Mark, if you're listening, I hope I'm not <laughs> saying it the wrong way. Like whatever. He was making kind of like, I don't know. I just remember he had like a really weird Aphex twin poster in his room and like yeah. was just making like weird stuff. And I think he played like he DJed in San Francisco at these strange clubs and things. But he had sonar and he had a microphone. So we made a song, just kind of like a joke, like whatever song. And I was like... I was also learning to code um, at the time, so Ooh. I like built this website. Very and, like, nerdy, very nerdy, um, and um, whatever. Built this website and then like had this song, and it was very strange that I did that. But it was there was something about it that I was like, I just liked. It, it felt good. It felt good, and I liked it. So we did a couple more things just because he had the ability to record. And then I came home for the summer to Chicago, and I was working in a kitchen. And, um, yeah, I bought a, a MIDI controller, um, and what a go-getter. Yeah, man. And I got a 58 just, yeah. and I started learning to, I just was teaching myself to program and then started doing that and started just recording myself and, and writing legitimately horrible songs. And it's funny cause one of my best friends, Tina, shout out Tina, um, <laughs> We're going shout out heavy. Shout but, out heavy, but honestly, yeah, Tina I'm is down. one of the. So Tina and Lauren are like my two. I was actually going to make a joke about the name Tina. I was going to go like, "Oh, Christine, do you ever go by Tina or do you, oh. you know Chrissy?" Tina. No, I would call you Tina. I think, but now that you have a Tina, yeah, don't I won't because do it. it's very confusing. All right. Tina's real name is Christina, but like I call mm. her Tina, mm-hmm. and a lot of people call her Christina. Okay, so Tina. So Tina. Here's um, the songs. Or this what? is just a funny aside, yeah, which yeah. is that like a long time ago we were reminiscing about we were like sitting on my bed and like I was playing one of my new songs for her, and she we were both like this is fucking awesome. It's one of the worst songs. We look back at this now, just like what was going through our minds. Oh man. You know. Those are the best. But I mean, they're, they're yeah. so bad. I have this one song sitting on my hard drive that was one of the first, uh, it was one of the first two songs that the producer I still work with to this day that he and I recorded together probably 12, 13 years ago. 
and I listened to it. And at the time we were like, Oh my fucking God, dude, we're going to be famous. Like, <laughs> can you believe this shit that we make together? We're going to be famous. And now I listen to it. And I'm like, Oh my God, thank God. This is not on the internet anywhere. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's a similar, <laughs> similar conversation that we just had. But, yeah. um, so yeah, then I started, I started making, um, make songs then i started playing on campus i had never like performed music or acted or like done stage things and so i started doing that and then i would then um i was playing a lot of frat parties there's a certain when you begin um there's a certain like innocent hubris that you have where you're like i'm fucking dope i need to start performing and realistically when you look back you're like i shouldn't have been performing back then but thankfully you get your chops up doing that stuff and i wasn't even i didn't even think i was good i was just so I think what has, and this has been a realization for me, for a lot of my life, and it continues to this day, I'm, there's some disconnect between my inner life and my understanding of how other people perceive me. Right. You believe in yourself, like, regardless of what (laughs) other people might believe in. Yeah, and my assumption is always, like... People think I'm dope. Or not even, like, people (laughs) think I'm dope. Like, just that, like what I'm doing is like legitimate in its own right. And I'm going to do it. And even if I don't know all the answers, I'm going to like express, you know, my attempts at approximating them or something. I feel that totally 100%. Yeah. So it makes sense. So yeah, I started doing that, but I was still very like focused on school and that was kind of the number one. But did you, how far into it before you like told mom and Tom like, Oh, guess what? I've been rapping. Oh, I told him right away. I talked to my mom every day. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I mean, rem- dude, I'm, I have fine my friends with my mom. She probably knows I'm here right now. Yeah. I mean, not like, maybe she I thinks hope, I'm I hope being that she, killed I, in this yeah, apartment. Yeah, I'm saying, I building. hope like you gave her the address and everything just in case. <laughs> you don't know me and Ben. We That's crazy. That's true. That's um, true. You guys don't seem crazy. Um, yeah, well, because I remember like my uh, my uh, origin story is very similar to yours, just in a shittier school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mine was at Cal Poly Pomona, and I was like, and I remember like going out into the hallway with the, the phone and being like talking to my mom and dad like yeah guess what i've been like recording raps and they're like pretty dope you know <laughs> i think i'm gonna be a rapper and they're like what stay in school like, <laughs> uh, <that's awesome. laughs> yeah. yeah so i just you know it's very gradual for me like yeah. i never i just kind of started doing it and i was enjoying it and then i finished school and what did you major in i majored i was double major in uh psychology and sociology oh so social sciences with a little bit of an emphasis on the quantitative statistical side on the for for psychology so that was you know which i find very interesting and actually they always say like uh people that uh major in psychology or become psychologists because they're trying to like figure out what's wrong with them yeah i believe that um i think for me i actually found sociology to i i enjoyed more than psychology i I, if i would have not gone to art school i would have majored in sociology like that's my that's my favorite thing to like read about in my free time yeah it's i mean you know it's kind of funny because it just means like the study of people but but it's so statistical. But and people are interesting. People are hella interesting. But all, and I just like to. I like the fact that there's like a lot of numbers worked into it because I. It's I don't know. It's like psychological math or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, it is. Yeah. And now my sister, mm-hmm. Lauren. Shout Lauren. out to Lauren. What up, Lauren? What up, Lauren? <laughs> I don't know if she might listen to. She might make it this far through this. What if I? My w- sister's very. Um, she's she's patient. My sister has like a lot of very good qualities. Like she's like a solid 
person. And I'm not, she didn't pay me to say this, She, but she really is. She should pay Like, you can, like, count on her. What if I go through, before I post this, listen to the conversation, f- like, write <gasps> down all the shout-outs and tag their Twitters or Facebooks in the description. And then we'll send them something. Ooh. But a lot of the people I'm shouting out, in, particularly my deceased grandmother, do not have Twitter Your grandmother's not on Twitter? She, she, she died in 2000 or something. I'm just kidding. No, it's not in 2000. In well, 2003. You know what that means. we got to make your grandmother a parody account. Uh, she would have been great at Twitter. I'm sure. Seriously, she would have been hilarious. But um, anyway, my point is my sister um, does – has elements of sociological quantitative analysis in her current job. She works for the government. She oh, works so for the Department of Health and Human Services. So she's the feds. She's. I wouldn't. Call, I wouldn't call her the feds. Hey, Lord, if you're listening, stop snitching. <laughs> um, so, how long was it that you're making your dorm room music before you start garnering a little following? And was it around Stanford first, or was it because of like the MySpace era, like the internet started hearing about it? It was. Uh, I mean, I had a little like very small following at school, just like campus stuff. But it wasn't until I finished school, I moved well, I was living in Palo Alto for a little bit and then I moved to San Francisco. And actually two of my best friends from high school moved out and mm-hmm. we had a little tripod. Some those are some of the best years of my life. Absolutely. Very very free time, unencumbered. Um but that's when I started playing shows like in like in venues. Like and that's getting, when you probably started drinking. It is when I started drinking. How was your first beer? Or what was your first drink? Well, so I should say I had like a glass of – I had a little bit of champagne at someone's 21st birthday. When I say like I didn't drink until I was 23, I didn't like feel the effects Mm -hmm. of alcohol until that time. So I I do remember very distinctly like – because when I started drinking, it wasn't like I'm going to blah, blah. It was like I'm going to have a beer. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I remember going to – Zachary's Pizza in mm-hmm. Oakland, which mm-hmm. if you are from the Bay Area, you know Zachary's Pizza. It's very delicious. It's actually Chicago-style pizza. Um, I was at the Zachary's in Rockridge with two of my friends, and we got pizza. And I was like, I'll have a Corona. And I just had a beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was very— and it was fiesta time. And that, was, um, that was pretty much it. Like. Yeah. You know, I think my I definitely like put my feet in the water. I didn't go crazy, and I I wasn't, and I've never really been interested in other kinds of like drugs or substances. Really, um, I've smoked weed, of course, but as as we were talking about earlier, I don't really love it. Yeah. Um, I was sort of uh, perplexed by the feeling for a little bit, the feeling of being stoned for maybe about a year or two, um, but. Then I, then I stopped being perplexed and I just kept forgetting like stuff when people would tell me stories and if I was high and my greatest fear is losing my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about it. So, or like becoming crazy oh, or oh, I didn't, I meant it just like the rhetorical, like, tell me about it. that same fear. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, we were talking earlier, but like yeah. any kind of like degenerative Alzheimer's thing, like it's just so scary. Yeah. So we'd, um, yeah, marijuana makes me feel that way. Yeah. And it scares me and it makes me sad and upset. So mm. Did you ever try any uh psychotropics? Did you ever try like acid or mushrooms? I haven't tried acid or mushrooms. Um I'm I'm again 
afraid yeah. of like what that may unlock. Yeah. Oh, it does some shit. It, yeah, and I and I've had a lot of friends who've had you know you very, have to say when you come out the other side <laughs> uh, who've had very positive experiences and yeah. but I'm just like I don't know. Uh, for me, it's just something like I don't feel super curious about. Yeah, so, that's good. That's solid. You know, like I don't really do anything that I don't want to do. So, and I'm not against it. I just like don't really want to do it. Just like I don't want to do cocaine. Mainly because, like, I fucking hate people. Well, who you're are... already a talker. Exactly. You Can you imagine me on? <laughs> you don't need any cocaine for that. No, I mean, coffee's bad enough. I'm yeah, all like, right. you know. Yeah. I had a I had a matcha green tea before I came. That was our. Oh, really? Yeah. Love that. Yeah, yeah. So good. Uh, that was our tangent uh, from you started playing shows. I started playing shows. <laughs> This is <laughs> this is why we've already got an hour twenty because we're just like I hope people aren't bored. No, this is how all my episodes are. I love okay. this. I don't. You know, here's the thing about here's a little secret about kind of neat. Okay, secret. I don't know how many people listen, and I don't. I don't really give a shit if they have a good time listening. I do this this part right here. Mm-hmm. I don't really make any money off this part. I just like doing it, and so this is a very enjoyable. Okay, uh, this is a good one for me, so I'm down. Okay, yeah, good. Now you know. Now you know my to. secret. Um, I feel blessed. Blessings on blessings on blessings. So Bless. you start playing shows around. Start playing shows. How, when do you feel like it's catching on, you know? Well, I honest, you know, I felt like, uh, okay, I, I felt like it was catching on pretty much when I did, a, I, I was starting to use samples as a way to work, practice my production and get better at that. Because I was finding it, you know, easier to start with some kind of source material, like something, and then build around that. And so I had, um, you know, that Grizzly Bear song, um, Two Weeks? I did a rap over that. Okay. That, that, yeah. So that has been a widely, obviously, it's a great sounding piano. Everyone has. Yeah, Everyone's done something. great. So I did something yeah. with that, a song called Two Week, a little play on. I, I, for you. I used to do these uh, projects called I Ruin These Songs For You. I did two <laughs> of them, and I would just gather a bunch of songs that had like an 80-ish or 85-ish tempo, like BPM, and and, the, and then had also a part that, had, that was long enough to like chop into a verse. And then I would just insert a verse of mine into the song that sounded as though I had collaborated with them. So it was like I, my two weeks version is like just an addition of lyrics that fits their themology. Got you feel me? You. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. It ended up in NME. Like, it did good. That that's song, awesome. Yeah, it was crazy. Anyway, sorry, I'm stealing your story. You're not uh, stealing my story. Uh, so you sampled two weeks. So, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I had this song that, like, did well on the internet. Yeah. And um, it was just when I had begun to work with my manager. So that had to be, like, in 2009 so or 10? 10. Yeah, yeah. This was in 2010. Yeah. Um, and I believe... Yeah, 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 it must have been. And so Seth, who's my manager, was then and is now and is also awesome. Um, He and I had just begun working together and this song was like doing very well. And this was kind of like at at a time when Hype Machine was not like at its apex, but it was – Oh, yeah. That's why mine got caught on was because of Hype Machine. Same thing. Exactly. So – and then I – you know, I ended up – doing some more things. I got a publishing deal. I got a record deal. And I think that was when I was like, oh, okay. 
Yeah, those. Here I am. See, that's that's a side of the uh, that's a side of the story I never got to experience. I never really fucked with management, and so I never had anyone speaking on my behalf. So, how does it go from like you got a hot song to like okay, now you have a deal? Well, it's a strange process, and I think it's you know it's different for everybody. But yeah. from for, for you, me yeah. personally, how it went was so yeah, I had I had this song, and then typically a lot of the kind of like assistance to A and R's or young A and R's at labels, um, especially at that time, like 2010 to 2012, I, I would say, were really like looking at what was on hype machine for a long time. Yeah. That was like SoundCloud contacting. Kind of at that point. Exactly. And yeah. like that was before they they changed the algorithm in certain ways like to kind of limit how long you could be up there, but back then it it wasn't really like that. So you could be up like at the top of the charts for quite some time. And so Seth just started getting hit up and then I had started taking some meetings and then got a couple people like who are in the industry who heard it and became advocates for me and they opened up a lot of doors um in terms of introducing me to people like introducing me to who was then and continues to be my lawyer and uh, you know just like different different components of the team and and those relationships in turn led to opportunities basically you found your horace grant and your steve kerr exactly that's very true although you know the um it's it's been cool because a lot of the original people yeah. have remained the same. Like a few people have changed, but it's it's been very very cool. Like yeah. I was even with my um, my agent, my international agent, because I was just um, doing some bunch of shows in Europe, and we were hanging out. We're like, man, like you've been like here since day one, and it's cool. Just right. you know, across like four or five years having those relationships with Stand because I was originally signed to RCA and then to Sony ATV. So kind of all major label system record and publishing deals and then ended up getting out of both of those deals, putting out my last record independently and operating in that sphere and then kind of, you know, entering like a new phase now. But yeah, weathering all of that. I wouldn't call them storms, but just weathering like the change. Yeah, and, and having the same people like be there for you throughout, yeah. throughout your growth. It's so cool because it, it gives everybody a sense of I think accomplishment and happiness. Right. When, as like I begin to understand, because I got signed when I didn't know any like I was I look back and I'm just like that's kind of being thrown to the wolves a little bit it was crazy you know I had gone from making songs truly in my mom and Tom's basement in Oakland and then it was like the first session I had was with Pharrell they flew me to Miami you know I signed my record deal with RCA in Miami like in the lounge of the studio yeah and like went to this crazy dinner that night like super expensive like the most expensive dinner I'd ever been to and I came back to the hotel and I just barfed. Like, I was just like... From nerves? Yeah. Wow. Like, it was just... I, it was not the right... Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just, like, not ready for that. And I think that's one comment I and criticism I have a little bit of the, the major label system is that it has a purpose and it has a real role and it has so many strengths. Yeah. But it's not very good with developing artists who don't have a vision for quite yet for their voice right right and which i didn't because if you're not um you're there to pump out radio hits kind of right well it to some extent definitely yeah um but to the more minimal extent you're there to 
represent something that people can explain and like uh, from, an elevator pitch. Yeah, and like for yeah. me at the time, you know, it was just very, very confusing, and and I didn't, I didn't even know what I wanted. Right, right. Well, so look, we've been going a long time already, and I have like. Mm-hmm literally a billion questions about that part of your life because i'm sure that um the last four or five years of your life have have you've probably had as much experience in those four or five years as as the equivalent of 10 years of of other parts of your life so why don't we um call this a stopping point and just go we'll have you back on because this was dope and i think like uh this is a pause this is just a pause. Uh, when it makes sense for you to come back, we'll come back. And, and you know, I've done three episodes with my mom already, and I'm very good at I'm already I'm very good at remembering where we left off. Okay, so, me too. So I know that uh, <laughs> next time it makes sense for you to come in if you have something to promote or if you just f- have a hankering to have a conversation. I'm gonna I want to ask you all about your label experience because that seems uh, extremely interesting, and that's probably what people were expecting us to talk about for most of the time, and we. Skipped right Psych. around all that. We skipped. Psych, we spent bro. too much time on shout outs. We did, but um, <laughs> yeah, I would love a part two. Yeah. And there's, I would just say, as like a teaser yeah. to the part two. Give me the teaser. The teaser is that there are a lot of like changes and things that have happened in the last four months for me, all extremely positive right. that I'm super excited about and very um, happy to share the news. And in fact, if we talk in a little bit, I'll even have more like. I don't know if it'll be a little bit. If you want to reveal stuff right now, do it. No, no, we'll just oh. leave everybody on the... Okay. I mean, it's nothing back. I'm They're not like, like pregnant or something. Yeah, no. It's not all, yet. Not yet. But remember, I am looking for an actor. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, I got, I'm going to audition. Just saying. I got auditions coming. Up. Lee's got <laughs> auditions coming. That's terrible. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's good ooh. and I'm excited to like... Are you talking about any projects coming out? Like, is that a thing that you're... Are you telling people that you have stuff coming out? Because if not, don't. Yeah. There's, there is new music coming out. Yeah. The form... Isn't totally like revealed yet? Yeah, but so let's not reveal it. I'll say it. Th- I'll say this though. It's yeah. I. I'm like more excited about this kind of like next body of work and everything that I'm putting into it. Um, yeah, more excited than I have been in a really, really long time. That's and great. I've been you know proud of a lot of the things I've put out. So this is just feels really good and yeah. So. I, f- I feel like you're about to have a big. Um, this time of your life is going to be very creative and it's going to be very good. And you're going to have a big influx of following, I bet. Like, th- I don't know. I don't, like when you get out of one deal and into a new one and you're right at the right age to be like peak artistry, yeah. like it's going to be – It's good things are going to happen, Christine. I hope so. Well, Lee, thank you. You're welcome. And We're thanks gonna- to anyone who fucking made it to the end. Hell oh, yeah. Okay. I've got a great idea. Yes. If you make it to the end of this podcast, tweet at me – um, the a- word Newcastle. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you've made it this far into the podcast, tweet the word Newcastle to me, and my well, Twitter handle Twitter? is yeah. just K F L A Y at K L fuck at K F L A Y Newcastle. Newcastle. Actually, please tweet code word Newcastle. And then what's gonna happen? You don't fucking know, man. She's gonna DM you something. I'm gonna DM a, you a new dad joke yeah. that she just wrote. <laughs> hot off the, yes. a, a new dad joke. Free joke if you do that. Right. I'm very curious to see. That's a that's a kind of a barometer of listenership. It is. It is. I, you know, uh, I don't have to get into all that, but get, okay. activation is tough with a podcast. You never really know. And iTunes, yeah. iTunes doesn't tell you. They just don't tell you. I know. That's so... It's crazy. It's wrong. Um, 
so yeah, at Kflay. What else? Facebook? Anything? Like you're just Kflay across just, the board. Yeah, just search K- that. Kflay is pretty SEO friendly, I think. If you can't if you can't figure it out by just typing in Kflay into the Google bar, yeah. you, got, you, you definitely didn't go to Stanford. Got, got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much. This was really fun. You're 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 very smart and and inte- or I was gonna say smart and intelligent. Like I'm just reading out of the thesaurus. <laughs> no, this was just a good conversation. You're a good bullshitter. Um, okay, guys, you know what part of the of the show this is. This is the part where I say my name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Intuition. Follow my man behind the boards, Ben Shim, making the shit sound buttery at I am database based with two S's. Follow us as a unit at kind of neat youtube.com slash kind of neat where you are going to see K flay perform FML, right? Yeet. I remembered that you from did. a text message. That okay. Was good. Thank you. Um, so you're going to see K F L a Y perform FML. Go to your uh, app store, search for the uh, podcast app, search for kind of neat, download it. Or I don't know fucking what I'm talking about. Subscribe, whatever. Subscribe to kind of neat on iTunes. It helps us leave a comment, leave a five-star rating. Tell us who you want to see on the show next. Thank you so much for that. If you are a loyal listener, you know the deal. You haven't done it yet. I know you haven't done it yet, but you can do it today. Go to patreon.com slash kind of neat and donate a dollar per episode. It's not a donation. Actually, it's a pledge. Pledge a dollar per episode. That's $4 a month because we release four episodes a month. It's like buying me a coffee. Just be a nice person. If it's part of your weekly habit, just do it. No big deal. I know you haven't done it yet. Today's the day you can do it. Um, That being said, I think we got the job done. I feel that we're owed money because we did the job. I already bought you a beer. What else do you want, woman? <laughs> Ugh, no, <I'm> just <laughs> a lot. Uh, <laughs> that was Christine K. Flay. My name is Lee Intuition. This was, goddamn it, kind of neat. We did it.